You're listening to a special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast with guest hosts Carl McKeever and Natalie Berg as we look back on the world of retail in 2020. Hello and welcome. You're listening to a special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast with me, Carl McKeever. We hope you're enjoying the festive season so far, and as 2020 rolls to a close, our final podcast episode of the year reflects on the year that was, a year like no other. Here to discuss it with me is co-host Natalie Berg, retail analyst and founder of NBK Retail. We cast our gaze over the challenges that have defined the year, the things we've learned and the opportunities that were seized and missed. We look ahead at what's to come in what we all hope will be a brighter 2021. This is the Retail Exchange Podcast. Welcome. Now, if you were trying to end this year by winning a prize for its greatest understatement, you could describe 2020 as eventful. It is difficult in so many respects to argue that 2020 was a good year. Emerging trends didn't just gather momentum, they marched forward to turn the whole retail industry on its head in ways we could never have imagined. The start of the year was already a mixed bag of results for many mainstream retailers as they grappled the challenges of shifting consumer behaviour. These retailers that are neither fish nor fowl, you know, neither strongly on the value side or more experiential or premium or what have you, really are having a hard time. A lot of retailers understand that their traffic is declining, probably going to continue to decline in many cases, no matter what they do. And then this. The COVID-19 pandemic is first and foremost a health emergency, but it's also an economic crisis causing unprecedented turmoil for retailers around the world as they close the doors on their physical stores. For how long? We don't yet know. Really, there's just a very subdued level of economic activity, especially on the retail front. You go out to a retail park or a mall where the parking lot is usually packed with cars and it's absolutely empty and it's quite a shocking thing to see. Manhattan is known for its shopping scene and right now all of that has gone quiet. There will be some businesses, unfortunately, who are already stressed, you know, that they've not um, made the switch to omni-channel quick enough, they're hemorrhaging sales because they've lost connection with their customer. If those businesses go bust, coronavirus has been the final nail in the coffin. It started with the probably the worst perfect storm of, of probably any British retailer because of our particular specialisation in Easter. What actually happened was we, we had all the stock delivered and then we had to lock all the doors and revert to trying to fulfil all the demand through purely online. Well, there we go. That really shows how quickly retailers had to adapt to the situation. It also shows how those retailers that have learned to be agile and a little bit more responsive to the many changes that were taking place prior to COVID are actually the ones that are faring well. But that huge overnight shift to online has certainly taken a lot of retailers by surprise, some being more prepared than others to make that that shift. 
when suddenly all of your stores are, are forced to close and you're forced to evolve and you're forced to consider things like click and collect, for example, as a kind of halfway house, as perhaps something where the economics are a bit more favorable to, to home delivery, um, then again, it really shows the re that retailers who were able to evolve and adapt were in a better position than those who haven't. Yeah, I totally agree. And what's so apparent from this period is the brands which have been effectively contingency planning for some time and ready for whatever hiccup or big bump in the road came along, rather than just taking it as a big shock to the system. Clearly, some brands were less prepared and maybe others were less functionally organised. Well, perhaps some of those connections between management teams were not as well developed and they just went into shock. And of course, in that point of shock, they literally shut down where others have been able to triage and, you know, almost forming a rapid response team that have been able to go in, get things done and communicate very successfully. I really think this is one of the big lessons around how good planning can really help you ride out whichever storm comes along. And by every count, this was the biggest. Yeah, and it was just sudden and overnight, and it completely upended retail, completely upended shopping habits, um, you know, our, our everyday lives. And from a consumer point of view, what, what I found really interesting is that um, how consumers behave when those everyday certainties were suddenly no longer there. So, you know, the ability to go to work, to send your kids to school, to get groceries, to, you know, have access to things like toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, March was a really crazy time. I think it's easy to kind of uh, forget about how strange and uncertain a time it was. But I think from a, a retail perspective, you know, the retail sector is no stranger to disruption. But I would say that nothing has jolted the industry like COVID. Yeah, and Angus makes the point. But, you know, for them and their particular business, Easter is one of the big peaks. But, of course, everybody is here and they've had their own peaks that would have come at different times. Fashion retailers have been completely knocked out from the whole spring-summer season. And Halloween was a ghost of its own self this year, with much reduced activity across all stores. So I think, you know, sector-wide, there is pain for many of the brands. But of course, if you're in certain sectors, then you've also had good opportunities. And we can see this in Dixon's Carphone results. They've done particularly well during this difficult time, where at a corporate level, they were able to adjust and pivot and change the way they did things. But at a small and indie level, for some brands, I've also had a fantastic opportunity to serve customers and in ways that would never previously been able to do so. But, you know, we should reflect for all the winners and, of course, the many, many losers. Retail still can provide opportunities. Yeah, that's right, Carl. And you're right that there will be a lot of losers, unfortunately. You know, I think, sadly, COVID will be the death knell for many retailers. And it is important to address that because, uh, you know, pre-COVID, the retail sector was facing seismic structural change. Um, so, you know, retail sales were actually in decline last year before the pandemic even hit. And the sector was completely adapting and reconfiguring for the digital era. And it naturally, you know, we had an oversupply of retail space. We had retail space that was just no longer fit for purpose. So there was already a, a huge transformation happening before the pandemic. And I think it's important to to bear that in mind. Um, that said, you know, I am optimistic that those retailers that are able to and willing to evolve uh, will be okay. I think that um, 
you know, this, what we're seeing now is almost retail Darwinism on steroids, if you will. Um, it is very much a case of adapt or die. And there are winners. There are, you know, these silver linings. Um, I think a key theme of the crisis is that the strong will emerge stronger. So you've got Amazon that continues to just scoop up trade for all the obvious reasons, but then a whole bunch of reasons that go beyond retail, um, which you know perhaps we can get into a bit later. But the fact that we're spending more time at home, we're shopping more online, of course, and we're also engaging with Alexa and watching TV and listening to music through Amazon. And you know they're one of the, the few retailers that have successfully embedded themselves in our lives and our, our physical homes. So certainly the pandemic has strengthened that proposition. Um, but you're right, independent retailers as well. You know, I think a lot of the small local retailers um, have, have thrived, uh, not only because we're spending more time in our communities and we want to support those retailers, but also because they're the ones that have been really agile and, and really responsive uh, to change. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the big questions really is, is to what extent has, let's say, you know, some of these online services um, prospered rightly at this time when there was limited access to anything else. But, you know, when people can come back into the stores and can do so with confidence, what we will then see is this whole re-engagement and reconnection um, by real people in stores, in real stores, um, and enjoying things that they can't do online. So, you know, the physical aspects of the experience, the ability to touch product, the ability to see choice laid out in front of them without having to commit and then wait to a parcel arriving through the door. I, I think we'd be very pleasantly surprised when we do eventually get to a place where, you know, we can welcome customers fully back into stores and with confidence that they will be safe. I think what we will actually see is that there will be a huge appetite for people to come back shopping and shop back stronger. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And something I keep saying is that I think this century will have its own roaring 20s. Physical stores, that experience that we've had to put on hold for the sake of everyone's safety, staff and customers, um, you know, that will come bouncing back as consumers. We are all craving that in-store, high-touch, sensory-driven experience that a screen just can't deliver. There's a cautionary note there too, though, in as much that that's where online doesn't generally disappoint. You know, what you see is what you get, and then it gets delivered. And people have already found a new normal with that in terms of kind of service delivery expectations. But I think when people come back into a store, their hopes will be high. And I think they could easily be disappointed if there is not the kind of shopping experience that they really are looking for as that point of difference. Mm, that's a really good point. Um, you know, there's so much focus on, oh, when are things going to get back to normal? When can I get into a store without wearing a mask and sanitizing my hands? And when can I try clothes on again? You know, as consumers, we are all desperate to get back to some sense of normality. Um, and what I found really interesting, I was um, listening to, uh, it was the Andrew Marr show a couple weeks ago, and they had Andrew Lloyd Webber on. Um, and he was talking about the return of live events and theater. And what he said really resonated um, with me. He, was, he said that there's so much pent-up demand that as soon as it's safe to do so, people will come back in droves. And I think the same is true for retail. Consumers will, you know, flock back to the stores. 
I think you're right. And I think this is where we will see that those brands who have been agile, who have been able to, um, you know, really kind of cut a new kind of um, future for themselves during this time by getting the digital proposition right and increasingly integrating the digital proposition with the physical store estate. Those are going to be the ones where I think consumers, they can carry them with them. So, you know, John Lewis has done a tremendous job this year in terms of its virtual home styling appointments and and those kinds of services. Mm -hmm. What they've done there is demonstrate to people that the brand that they love and trust and enjoy is still very much out there but they've been able to adapt and they've been able to reform and of course when the doors are open again then they can re-engage in the relationships and providing those services which people have come to know and love definitely it's interesting i think those brands which have been able to um pivot this year and take it away from a pure store-based experience to using digital channels in things such as video shopping services. You know, clearly those are the ones which are on point and why they've been able to react very, very simply and effectively to these difficult times. Yeah, it's all about the pandemic pivot, isn't it? <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's going to be the, the phrase of 2020. In my view, there are three trends that COVID is accelerating. So, The demise of mediocre retail, which we've already sort of talked about. Um, The rise of e-commerce, that goes without saying. Um, E-commerce is at an inflection point, and I think this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take it to the next level. Uh, But the third trend that will be accelerated, which is most exciting in my view, is the convergence of physical and digital retail. I keep saying that, you know, COVID will finish what Amazon started in terms of digital transformation. You know, digital transformation is no longer optional. It is about to become supercharged. And a lot of these trends were brewing pre-COVID, you know, using scan and go tech, for example. What's really interesting now is that other retailers are really embracing this. You've got M&S, for example, rolling out scan and go technology to all UK shops. So these are trends that will stick post-COVID. We should also see there are other trends, things like localism. You know, so many brands have reminded themselves all too well this year how having smaller stores embedded in local communities has actually been the thing that's really made it work for them. When people weren't comfortable to travel to city centres, wanted to avoid public transport, what they found is increasingly their neighbourhood stores and those relationships with people that live and work locally have really blossomed. So I think for many of the brands which had been, you know, uh, looking at their location strategies around fewer, bigger and better and relocating just into big regional hubs or out into, you know, kind of big shopping parks. Actually, it's been a timely reminder that retail still should be at the heart of the community. And I think this year, more than ever for many years, we've really seen how local stores that are closer to people without the big infrastructure necessarily behind all of that can actually be just as personal and just as profitable. Mm, What's interesting is that the larger retailers are looking to emulate that in many respects. So looking to technology to offer that personalized experience that um, a local store uh, is is capable of doing, you know, without any any tech help. So I think certainly a move towards greater personalization and, um, you know, I think it is going to be harder to, to garner loyalty. And, you know, as consumers, you know, we've got really high expectations anyway. And, and now it's going to be uh, even more challenging for retailers to ensure that they're meeting our needs. And, and, and also to your point about it not just being about tech and big stores. I think there is a risk of tech for tech's sake. And, you know, these stores becoming large soulless sheds, 
with lots of automation and very little human interaction. And I think we, we are all in agreement here that, that there has to be a balance. And, and of course, you know, for me, the irony in all of this is in the title in some ways. You know, the Amazon marketplace comes from the marketplace. And the marketplace is a place where people interact and goods were bartered and sold. And I think this year we've seen that in communities up and down the country. And I think what we have also been reminded of is when people were feeling vulnerable, when they were feeling unsafe, what they've done is turn to some of those simpler things in their lives. They've been reminded of the importance of family. They've been reminded of the importance of nature and the environment and perhaps where some of those bigger things we were following around kind of, you know, hapless consumerism without really thinking consciously about the choices we were making. Some of this has come back much closer to home. And I think, if anything, retail this year has found a more empathetic uh, local character again. And we've all been reminded that actually, if we lose all of our high streets and and our shops and stores to the big corporate giants, that actually a big swathe of our communities and our humanity will probably disappear as well. Well. Yeah, you know, we have wanted to support our local high streets um, who've been there for us throughout all this, throughout lockdown, you know, who have, um, you know, have done so much for the community. And I think community and this idea of participation is going to become so much more important for retail. And also this element of discovery. So again, something we've had to sort of put on hold. Um, but that's something that online retailers are really struggling to, to offer. And that's where social commerce can come in and bridge that gap. This is where the differentiation comes in from what is a great e-commerce experience versus what is a great high street retail experience. And I think what we will see here is, is that bad retailers will probably still continue to be bad. The sloppy ones won't change. But those people who get it, and are really prepared to up their game with their in-store proposition and their in-store experience will be the ones that join together the dots between digital and physical and really make them much stronger as a brand, better together. Mm, yeah, and it is it is about offering customers that seamless experience regardless of how they're interacting with your brand, right? Because we know, you know, there's been a proliferation and um in fulfillment options, but also in in touch points and how we actually access those brands. So, you know, I can be in my kitchen asking Alexa to add it to my shopping list. Um, I could be on Instagram and within a couple of taps, I'll have, you know, purchased something. So it's it's actually shopping is is everywhere. And it's it's actually no longer about physical versus digital. It's about connecting those dots and, and figuring out, you know, where you need to be because you don't need to have a presence uh, in every single one of those channels. Um, one other point I'd, I'd make here is about the digital worlds becoming more immersive. I think that's going to be an interesting trend to watch. So if you think about e-commerce experiences, over the past decade, it's mainly been about reducing friction, right? So fast and free delivery, um, personalized uh, product recommendations, one-click checkout, just making it as seamless and easy as possible. Free returns, um, which I think is a you know a bubble that is about to burst, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so that, that's really been e-commerce up until now. I think what we will see post-COVID is a lot of the um, pivots, if you will, that retailers had to make during the pandemic will stick. 
Yeah, and I'm hopeful that actually what it also might bring is a bit more experimentation as well. There's been plenty of examples of businesses which have failed where perhaps part of the, the reason why they, they, they did not survive is because of their old thinking. And the thinking was that actually once you perfect the formula, you roll it out and you just have more and more of the same footprint, you know, in many locations. Now that as a, as a notion is just expired, it's out of date and it's no longer relevant. So I think what this will also perhaps do is challenge at a corporate level, the idea to which consistency actually matters. You know, actually, the thing that will become consistent is the online experience, because it's designed and built to deliver that most efficiently. What physical retail can do is deliver difference and surprise and innovation and originality. And what the consumer wants is things which will excite them and engage them and make their toes tingle and their heart race. And I think this is where store designers and visual merchandisers and marketeers can really start to think quite differently about their retail estates and give the consumer a real, genuine, heart-racing reason to come back into the shops. If we just give them more of the same, or if we give them a diminishing return, or if we just give them the same old tired format that they're already familiar with, why leave your sofa? That's it. You know, you have to give people a reason to ditch their screens, right? And this whole cookie cutter approach that worked so well for retailers for so long when it came to globalization, uh, you know, internationalization strategies, that's just no longer relevant. We're both, you know, very familiar with all the conversations where perhaps, you know, the accountants have been running the businesses for too long and this is now an opportunity for the merchants and the marketeers and the product specialists to get front and centre again. This is not just about, you know, managing the numbers of a retail estate. This is about managing the emotions of the consumers which you want to shop there. You know, it's a simple fact. Make people excited make them happy, give them satisfaction, give them delight, and they will share this amongst their friends and their peers and their family. That's what gets people back into the high street and gets them spending and wanting to buy more. The topsy-turvy year for retail was unrelenting as we moved from summer into the second half of the year, with retailers facing their own Groundhog Day as lockdown returned. As we look ahead, there's a lot of increased economic uncertainty and and more pressure on household budgets. So we think we're about to see the full economic impact on retail start to come through, which is going to mean a huge focus again on value and prices. And so, you know, those traditional retailers that aren't competitive enough will probably see customers shift back to some of those low price discount stores. For many retailers, um, especially in those areas that have been most significantly hit, so apparel being one of those areas, they're still in survival mode. They're still looking at how to reduce um, costs, how to, you know, how to cut, cut down the number of stores, how to reduce space, how to really streamline operational efficiencies to preserve working capital, to make sure that they're in the best financial position possible to weather the storm as effectively as they can. What do you think, Carl, about the role of the store assistant going forward? Because if if we're saying to retailers that, look, you need to evolve, you need to offer more than just, you know, sticking some products on your on your shelf. Um, how does the role of the, the sales associate change in the coming years? This is about brands being honest with themselves and their consumers about the kind of service that they want to provide. So I think, you know, this kind of uncomfortable kind of place which many brands got to where they kind of you know tell their colleagues that they have to be great ambassadors and they have to be spokespeople for the brand and they have to live and breathe the business to to operate actually 
in many cases, that's just not relevant. And it's also generally not true. Mm, That's really interesting. I do agree with you. I think it does vary uh, by retailer. But I would also argue that what we are seeing um, is this idea of a white glove service uh, being democratized. So personal shopping, for example, is now kind of an expectation for consumers. It's it's becoming democratized. It's becoming um, it's not something that you'd only find in a, a you know a, a luxury experience. For example, John Lewis was sending its staff to theater training a few years ago. I mean, that's extreme. <laughs> but um, you know, how can retailers look to their staff as a way to offer a service that customers can't get online? I think that is the the ultimate goal. Is you know maybe maybe you don't need to send your staff to theater training, but you you do need to be able to offer genuine advice and expertise in the appropriate setting and go beyond that, that basic hygiene that you've, uh, you've touched on. You know, Marks and Spencer went out earlier this year and said that you know, we're launching a programme of never the same again. And I think that's right, because COVID-19 has really challenged all retailers to think quite differently about you know, how they're going to reimagine, repurpose and re-envisage themselves for the future. But this shouldn't be something which is done by too much navel gazing. You know, retail is all about trading. It's about, you know, getting on with the day job. For me, what brands have appreciated is, is that there can be a bright future for both digital stores and physical stores. But increasingly, it's about getting the integration of those working much better, not just on points of friction, but also validating the reason why both are important and giving that clearly as a message to consumers. This is where retail can find a new point of purpose. So for me, I think it is about balancing the ambition and the aspiration. For every business, there's only so much money to go around. And this is about making clear choices. Where do we invest? How much do we invest? And in what? Now, for me, I think over the last 10 years, we've seen that retailers have prioritised in many cases the investment into their e-commerce operations, setting up distribution, warehousing, partnerships, transport, etc. And in many cases, that has come at the physical cost to the development and enhancement of their physical stores. You know, we've seen a generation of stores that were built in the 80s and the 90s deteriorate old concepts, maintenance issues, not keeping up to date with the latest thinking. You know, staff who are thin on the ground, tired, a little weary, and and kind of somewhat jaded at being asked to do more when there's less of them on the floor. So I think retail... Um, retail management teams really have to think about very clearly what is the role and purpose of our stores. Identify that clearly, and whether that's in city centres, retail parks or local high streets, but then make the best and most relevant opportunity in each of those locations. Yeah, I agree with you, Carl. There's so much to say here. Um, I would say that we have to bear in mind, even pre-COVID, we knew we had too many stores, right? We had this oversupply of retail space and retailers were in the midst of redressing that balance when the pandemic hit. If you look at a retailer like John Lewis, they said in the summer, a quote from them, the reality is that we have too much store space for the way people want to shop now. And again, COVID will only accelerate that shift. What was interesting before the pandemic, we saw um, one of the big trends in retail was the transition of digitally native brands into the physical space. So Amazon being a big one, but loads and loads and loads of other online brands, brands that started life online now moving into stores because they recognize the value in having a physical presence in terms of 
offering customers additional choice and fulfillment so they can order online and collect in store, a place to engage with products, engage with staff, and, and also in terms of just brand recognition, because we all know about this elusive halo effect where if you have a physical store, it's actually your online sales that grow uh, within that the store's catchment area. So loads of factors going into, you know, why these digitally native brands were moving into physical retail. And obviously when the pandemic hit, it's it's made all retailers question where they, uh, you know, where they invest and, and which channels are, are most profitable. We know online grocery, for example, is least profitable, but that's where all the supermarkets have had to, um, you know, put the resources because of restrictions around COVID. Um, what was interesting during the pandemic, we've actually seen some retailers, very well-established retailers and big brands decide to close all their stores and focus purely online. So almost a reversal of this online to offline trend. We saw TM Lewin, for example, a brand that's been around for over 100 years, close all its shops uh, to focus on uh, a digital offering. Microsoft has closed most of its stores or is in the process of. Big brands like Inditex, which obviously owns Zara, they're closing, I, I believe it's around 25% of their store base by 2022. And, and naturally, they're growing their e-commerce sales uh, it, it was to reflect the shift in, in um, spending habits by consumers. So the point is, there's, there's a lot going on. And it is about really figuring out where your customers are, what they want from your brand. And the stores that are left, I think there's... You've, you know, as we've said throughout the podcast, you've got to really give customers an incentive to come into the store. So, you know, whilst I think this is an inflection point for e-commerce, uh, I don't agree with some analysts who think that e-commerce will get to over 50% of the market. And you could argue, yes, retail will become more blended and it might be harder to, you know, account for click and collect. Is that online sales or in-store sales? Um, but I really believe that e-commerce is you know, it will continue to grow, but there are challenges in in uh, fulfilling these orders. You know, as e-commerce grows, so do the costs. So, you know, whilst customer acquisition costs might come down as e-commerce becomes more popular, uh, the cost of fulfillment is a real uh, elephant in the room. And combined with this shift towards more um, conscious consumerism, which I think is about to burst into the mainstream, I think this is an opportunity for retailers to kind of put that genie back in the bottle, this idea of ever faster free delivery and free returns. And I think there's an opportunity to retrain customers. And, you know, can we see the rise of no rush delivery, for example? I mean, is everything we order, you know, that time sensitive? Yeah, and I think you're right. But it's also reminding ourselves that some of the stores which have also done extremely well this year don't actually have uh, an e-commerce operation. You know, Primark has done exceptionally well. Yes, some of their retail stores are still down in those major city centres. But what we see there is how they built a brand, they built a consumer experience. They didn't provide that to people through boxes that arrive at their doorstep. And even though their stores were closed for several months of the year, when they came back, they came back strong. And that's because they built the firm foundations of a great stores business. And there's plenty of other examples of that as well. So I'm like uh, with you. I believe that e-commerce will continue to grow and continue to be very important. And those brands which do it well will increasingly blend those um, physical and in-store uh, experiences with their digital offering to take out all the friction and just make it work. But there's a big part of me that remains and feels very passionate that as people 
as humanity, we will still want experiences where we gather, we communicate, we share, and we get excited. And that's what stores can still do. So, you know, for me, there's a clear reason why Selfridges is still the number one department store. It's because they never rest. They never get complacent. They're continually reinventing themselves and perfecting and doing more. Now, if more retail brands had that mentality around saying, how can we reinvigorate? How can we innovate? How can we really give people something to get excited about? Then I do believe there's a bright future for retail. The dinosaurs got sleepy. And ultimately, we know what's happened to those. The brands which are pioneering and pushing are the ones which are itchy they're fidgety they're always searching something new and when they find it they give it to consumers first and that's where they clean up now i'm going to be a little bit cynical here and challenge you because i agree that primark selfridges they're great examples but um you know, Primark does so well because it, their proposition's really clear, right? I mean, how many other retailers can offer what they do in terms of, you know, price and value that they're giving to, to customers? And you only need to look to, you know, again, not to pick on Arcadia again, but, you know, those fashion retailers, there's a big middle that's really, really struggling right now. And and even fast fashion, I think, you know, they, they're going to, they're in for some challenges as well. Um, we saw Pretty Little Thing offering dresses for 8P over Black Friday, and consumers are starting to wonder, you know, is this right? And and Selfridges is, you know, they, if you walk past Selfridges now, there's um, words emblazoned across their Oxford Street store, change the way we shop, which is all about, you know, the circular economy. It's all about changing our, our view of consumerism. And Pre-COVID, I put out a series of predictions. Um, as we were entering a new decade, this time last year, I put out a series of predictions for uh, 2020 and beyond. And, you know, little did I or anyone know that we'd have a global pandemic hit within the, you know, two months. Um, but what's really interesting is that most of those predictions are still valid. And, and the one here that I'd just like to pick on is the shift away from mindless consumption and towards more mindful consumption. And I think Selfridges is, is really on the mark here. You know, if you're a fast fashion retailer, well, maybe your in-store formula needs to change because if you have cheap clothes in a cheap environment and actually all you're doing is offering them for increasing levels of markdown discount, where's the excitement in that? Mm. Yes, it might be cheap, but does it make you feel great? Yeah, that's it. You know, the pandemic has has really led to what I think is this great consumer reset. You know, I think it's humbled us. It's shown a light on the environmental impact of consumption. And sure, there will always be people who, you know, who will continue to, to buy those dresses for 8p if that's an option. And there will be people that need to. Uh, they won't have a choice. So, Carl, it has been a challenging year, to say the least. But it would be nice to end on a more positive note. So what are you seeing that is giving you some hope and optimism for 2021? So I guess if I'm hopeful, if anything, is that for many brands that have done well this year, those who've been able to reconfigure quickly, re-engineer their businesses, change their operations to these difficult times and still make progress, is that they can take the best of that with them forwards. This is the moment where they can, in a sense, almost use it as a reset. It's been painful. It's been difficult. But let's go forward with confidence. Bring your retail teams with you and do things in a smart way. You know, think about the proposition and how do you create uniqueness, make it special and really give it a viable future.
Yeah, I completely agree. You know, the word humanity really, really resonates with me. I think that the pandemic has humbled us. So for me, there's three sort of traits that retailers need or any business really needs to thrive post-COVID. Um, it's agility. You know, we've talked a lot about agility and the need to to make those pandemic pivots. Resilience you know, we still have a long way to go before life gets back to normal. We need to brace ourselves for, you know, another bumpy year and and more uncertainty. And the last is purpose. You know, you've touched on that. uh, You touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but I really believe that consumers will look to align themselves with brands whose values reflect their own. And for me, I think I'd just add one final word to what you're saying, really. It's about relevance. As a business, if you're still relevant to people, they'll shop with you. If they like what you do, they'll come back for more. And I think this is where if you can redefine what relevance means, along with your sense of purpose and deliver that with um, agility, with high levels of execution, then you should be on a good path to future success. Absolutely. Natalie, it's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. It's been a fantastic uh, opportunity to look back over what has been an unprecedented, to use that word, 12 months. (laughs) And I think what we all really need to do is to think about all of those retail colleagues which have had a difficult year, those brands which have found themselves having to react and adjust very quickly. And let's end by being hopeful that, you know, together as an industry, we can really move forward and very confidently into giving consumers really something very, very much better for 2021. Thank you for having me, Carl. It's been a fantastic opportunity to talk through all the many changes happening within the industry. And I, like you, I'm really hopeful for the next year. And I think there's a real opportunity for us all to reimagine both physical and digital retail for a post-COVID world. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. And a big thanks to all our contributors and supporters and the whole team behind the scenes who have made these series of podcasts possible during 2020. That's all we have time for for this episode of The Retail Exchange and for this year. I'm Carl McKeever and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange. Thanks for listening.